This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. Good morning. My guest today is Rajit Thomas. He's the CEO and founder of a company called Sprinkler, the world's most complete social and customer experience management platform serving more than 1,200 enterprise brands. He's a technology visionary entrepreneur investor who has played an instrumental role in the evolution of two business critical channels for the enterprise, social, media, and email. Prior to founding Sprinkler, he was the president of Epsilons, which is obvious on the NYSE at ADS, Interactive Solutions from 2006 to 2008, and the CTO of Bigfoot Interactive, an email marketing leader that was acquired in 2005. Rajee, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. All right. Sprinkler, interesting story here. People have seen it. You've made some small acquisitions. You've been in the press every now and then. What's the company doing? How do you make money? Um, we are the most complete social media management platform for the enterprise. What does that mean? It means that if you're a large company, um, we work with 1,200 large brands um, like McDonald's and and Nike and Dell, um, we give you one unified platform to do your marketing, to do your advertising, to do your research, to do your commerce engagement and do your customer care across 24 social channels. So that's what we do. If you're a large company, you want to do customer care on social, if you want to do marketing on Twitter and Facebook and 23 other global channels, you can put your marketing team or your customer care team on Sprinkler and do that from one platform. Walk me through in terms of helping us understand customers. I've obviously have Hootsuite playing kind of in the much lower kind of ASP range than you are. You also are probably being attacked, I would say, pretty directly by the likes of kind of Adobe and Salesforce. Your average customer, are we talking, you know, $100,000 annual contracts on average, million dollar on average? What's a general range so we can get a sense of customer size? Yeah, so our average is... um you know, it varies by quarter, but generally around 150 to 200,000. Um, and the contract ranges that we try not to do engagements below 100 grand. And on the high end, it goes annualized over $10 million a year. And what are the key levers you're pulling to drive, even, even if it's just initial price or revenue expansion year over year? Is it number of seats? Is it number of product add-ons? Is it utility and an API calls? What is it? So we go to market with uh, six primary clouds and you can buy the whole thing and you can just say I'm buying the experience cloud and you can have an enterprise agreement for the entire platform. But typically you can just go buy uh, the social cloud or our marketing cloud or our advertising cloud, our research cloud uh, or our commerce cloud or care cloud. And each one of these then have products underneath it. So if you're buying a social cloud and you don't want to buy the whole thing, you can buy social listening, you can buy social publishing, you can buy um, social uh, uh, automation. Um, So it's really by cloud, you got these products 
Um, and you can buy them a la carte, or you can buy them as a cloud, or you can buy the whole thing as an enterprise license. And walk me through kind of, and now that we understand kind of the business and the general customer size, give me some of the backstory here. So what year did you launch the company in and where was your brain? Where was your life at that point? Um, this is 2009, right? I was, uh, life was good. I was uh, an executive at a public company. Um, Which one? You know, um, at uh, Alliance Data Systems, right? We, we were a Epsilon's a division of Alliance Data and I was running a division of Epsilon called Epsilon Interactive. At that time, arguably, Epsilon Interactive was the world's largest email marketing company. And we had blue chip clients, credit card companies, pharmaceutical companies, retailers as clients. Um, and so I was in a very comfortable position. Um, and, and you watch social come by. And so this is 2008, 2009. And you watch the meteoric rise of Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And for most people uh, from the outside, you know, you'd be enamored with the success of these companies. But someone in my shoes, I'm a product guy. My background is in, in product development and, and engineering. Um, if you come and you're, you're running the largest email marketing company at that time in the enterprise space, you are very clear about the problems you're facing with email at scale. So at, the, at that time, I was dealing with spam, I was dealing with multimedia, I was dealing with the, the rigidity of email as a channel. So when I looked across the landscape and I watched the rise of these social media networks, um, what I saw was the basic limitations of email communication being solved. So if you look at YouTube or Flickr or SlideShare or Facebook or anybody, they, they have permissions built in. Like if I follow someone, I'm giving you permission to get my updates, right? So it's, I friend someone, but permissions are covered. Everybody's got better support for multimedia, photos and videos, and you got an inbox, you got a feed, so I'm differentiating different types of messages. So what I saw was a new way to communicate, and, 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 and the big idea was to do what we had done for email. How do we build a platform for the enterprise, which is the only space I knew, um, to take advantage of all these new channels that are coming on board. Now, it sounds like the first few years you fought like hell not to take money, right? But in Battery Ventures in March 2012, Niraj finally got you and said, you're going to take my $5 million check whether you like it or not. Why did you bootstrap for the first few years there? How much of your own money did you put in and why did you eventually say yes to Battery? So I had a, a slightly twisted state of mind at that time. Um, having gone through you know, having raised money in the past and gone through that experience. Um, and it's not fair to say I was trying very hard. I, I didn't want to take money. What I realized was very simple. Um, if the company is successful, you want to own more of it, right? For sure. Because we had, we diluted ourselves so much in my previous lives. Two, if the company is not successful, the question then becomes, are you more comfortable losing your own money or somebody else's money? And the answer for me was, I'm more comfortable losing my money than somebody else's money because it just, my brain deals with that better. I just write it off, move on. But I just didn't want to face someone whose money I had lost. The social so, pressure, yeah. I, it was just very personal. And, and, and I don't want to associate with morality. I just want to say that I was more comfortable losing my money and not having to answer to anyone. 
So that, that's the reason why raising money was not a priority. And I also realized that if you go to the venture community with an idea that's not proven, um, it's, it's a tough balance and a tough thing to get in and get their attention. On the other hand, if the company is successful, they're all scouting for successful companies. So they're going to come find you. So that's just the logic behind what I did in the first couple of years. Now, how much capital have you raised to date? $240 million. It's like rounding up, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. So $240 million bucks raised so far. And what is that, Series D, E, F? F. You're getting up there. You're going to have to invent some new letters in the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Reggie. Uh, in all seriousness, though, so you've raised capital. You're doing some interesting things to fund growth. Uh what, you know, you've done many small kind of acquisitions. Walk me through when you're looking at an acquisition target, what are you looking for strategically? We are filling out our portfolio of capabilities against a vision that's super clear. Our vision is to create the world's first customer experience management platform that's purpose built for the front office. So we are architecting an integrated holistic approach that should allow large companies to work across lines of business, markets, and customer facing teams on one platform. And we've got all the components mapped out. So we've done 11 acquisitions. And every time we've done one of those, it was to go bring in a specific capability that we didn't have at that time. Now that's one. The second interesting thing there is every one of these acquisitions that you've brought, we've brought on, we have practically thrown away the code. In most cases, we've written down the revenue. Um, and I get this question most of the times when I say this, like, why did you buy these companies? We buy these companies for what I think of as a domain expertise. There's a lot of things that you learn when you go create a company from scratch. And usually it goes through one or two generations before the big picture emerges. So what we do, for example, we bought a company in social advertising space. Which one? Uh, it was called TBG, it was based out of um, London. And what we did was we, we brought in those 100 people who knew the advertising space, who knew how to work with agencies, who knew how to sell to a media buying audience. And we literally took the engineers and rebuilt that entire capability on our stack. And because our platform is very generic, you know, 70% of what they need is already there in terms of automation and analytics and governance and um, all of that, right? So all you have to then come in and build are the specific capabilities for that area, which could be budgeting or ad execution. So we can rebuild faster than attaching or merging it. And so what are you, obviously through acquisitions, through just general recruiting, what are you at now in terms of a total team size? Um, over 1,500 in 23 offices around the world. Okay, so 23 offices. And where's your main office? Uh, New York is headquarters. Um, a big offices in, in the U.S. are San Francisco, um, Austin, Texas. So we've got a fairly big presence in London, in Bangalore, Delhi. In 2012, when you're seeing this flurry of activity in the form of a, a Buddy Media $600 million exit, a Wildfire $300 million exit, an Involver exit, a Vitru exit, all in the hundreds of millions of dollars, you're 
you know, three years into your company at this point, how are you feeling? Are you feeling like, crap, we should ride the wave and exit too? Or why did you decide to go, oh, kind of ignore that hype and keep focused on your long-term vision? Yeah. Um, the latter. Ignore the hype, keep focused on the vision. But how, in the moment, how were you able to do that? It's very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. But when you go through difficult times, I always look for patterns from history. So my experience living through the email marketing wave um, gave me absolute clarity and confidence in what we were pursuing. If you think about email marketing as an industry, um, in 1999, there were publicly traded email marketing companies. None of them made it past the dot-com bust. And what happened was, as, as, as Epsilon Interactive, we ended up acquiring DoubleClick's email solutions group, which had a bunch of companies. We acquired a bunch of email companies. So I've watched how that industry goes through an early peak. Then actually the wave really starts. And when we exited in 2005, by all accounts, we thought we were on top of the world. And we were way bigger than responses or exact target as Epsilon Interactive. But they went on, these companies stayed on for another, whatever, five to six years, and they all exited at, you know, what, exact tar target sold for two and a half billion, responses sold for a billion and a half or something. So what you learn from history is a lot of the times at the top of the wave is not what you think uh, it is at that point in time. So that those parallels gave me very high degree of confidence that I got to keep up with the vision and always validate it against the market needs and the market reception and not get carried away with, you know, the noise in the marketplace. What are you at now today in terms of total customers you're serving? Um, over 1200 big name brands. 1200. Now, do you, do you specifically kind of have a sheet on your office wall that says, here's the fortune 1000, go get them all. Or, or, I mean, are you targeting anyone in specifically any kind of company sizes? Yeah. Just the, what you would think of as the, as the Fortune 1000, 2000 type, right? So it starts at the top. Um, I've told my guys that we have, when we do these new employee sessions, which happens sort of every every month, um, my frequent story to them is, you know, I ask them, how many customers uh, do you think uh, Sprinkler has? And, and I get like people guessing, some people would know the answer. And then I go uh, with a straight face, I'd go to them, no, um, the answer is 10,000. Okay, and they were like, "What? No," and and some people would believe it. Whoa, did not know. Then I go to them, nine thousand of them don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> that's the way I think about it. We got ten thousand cu customers. Virgie, that's uh, powerful. My that's job good. To find the other 8,800 and bring them home. Now, I love that. God, I love that. All right. Now, taking back to Forbes here. So I'm citing public data here. You correct me if you want or just let it be how it already is publicly cited. But back in fall, they uh, Forbes put out a report, fall 2015, you guys passed the... The nice number, $100 million in annual run rate at that point in fall 2015, which was a 150% year-over-year growth rate over 2014. That growth rate, that was a revenue growth rate, right? Not, not a logo growth rate? Yes. Okay, got it. Now, you referenced pre-call a Business Insider article. Do you want to add any additional information to that or just let that stand as it is? Let that stand as it is. What did Business Insider say? Um... I think they've speculated that we've, we're over $200 million in ARR. So 
I'm going to also speculate and you can judge this how you want, but 1200 customers, you cited earlier, a minimum ARPU. You said you would definitely like to be over a hundred grand, but minimum 150. If I just take 150 grand times 1200 customers, that puts you at 180 million right there. So, um, we're just going to look at your smile, take that as a judgment and move on. Talk. What'd you say? I said, you're good. I'm good. I appreciate the compliment. All right. uh, You're a hustler. Tell me about a weird thing you've done to acquire customers, not inbound or paid marketing or acquisition, something weird you've done. Um, Not not really, man. I can't tell you weird things I've done to acquire customers. I can tell you um, things that are probably not very common. I go the other way. I don't live my life trying to pitch people. I don't. I just don't. That's why I'm asking um, you. You probably do some interesting stuff. Give me one. And so people tell me, oh, pitch me. I've, I get that. I've got, gotten that so many times in my life. They go in a situation. You're a VC. You're a customer. Even customers say, pitch me. I say, there's nothing for me to pitch. I, there's nothing. I mean, I want to live my life without an agenda. My goal in life is not to cry aloud to get your attention. My goal in life is to create so much value that you can't ignore me. Mm-hmm. Let me let me rephrase this question that I think might work better with your brain and how you think because you definitely think differently. Uh, there's a customer that you know is a fit for you. It's one of those eight nine thousand you haven't got yet. What yeah. is something weird you might try to help them speed up the discovery of you? I tell them, I tell them in great detail what I see in the future of customer experience management. I, I tell them what I see. I talk about customers that are connected. I talk about people uh, experience being the new brand. And I talk to them about how marketing is foundationally now flawed because 80% of your budget, if you're spending into what to say to people and 90% of people are making the decision on what others are saying to them, you're off. So I try to point out how marketing and advertising and research and commerce and care can foundationally be different. And, and then I try to help them understand the economic impact of not catching up to where their customers and their competition is. And, and I leave it up to them. You, you're not pitching. They find you. You're leading through thought leadership and vision. They finally fa- find you. Obviously, SaaS company, crit, two critical numbers, obviously, you know, logo churn and then obviously net expansion of revenue year over year. You have a lot of different product suites. I imagine you have a playbook for that. But generally speaking, logo churn annually, what does that look like for you? Again, it, it, we track it quarterly and we, we um, between 90 and 100 percent is is where we keep it quarterly and it fluctuates up and down depending on, you know, if we acquire companies, um, Reggie, that's quarterly, you know, correct. And 90 above 90% retention quarterly in logo. Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. Now your playbook on expansion revenue, I, I obviously have a big team. What, how many of those team members are focused on inside sales, specifically driving expansion revenue? So that's not how we're doing. And we're going through an evolution as we kind of go through these different stages of growth, right? Uh, In our early years, we were just focused on customer success. Um, And I I would submit to you um, publicly that this is the year we're finally launching version one of our end game product. Like we had to live inside the social box for the last seven years. Why? because the market was not ready for us. Uh, and you know, I'm 44 now. When I was 20, I wanted to change the world. You know, I was 35, I think, when I started Sprinkler. 
you're wise enough to realize that you want to be ahead of a world that's changing and you don't want to spend your time educating the market that's not ready for you because that's just paving the the, 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 the the road for the next company to take advantage of that education. That so we stayed in the social box. We stayed in the social engagement box. We stayed in the social SMMS box. And whatever box the market would give us, um, up until now, when I know the market's ready for the customer experience management platform, the ERP for the front office. And we're doing what SAP did in the late 80s with supply chain and ERP. We're doing the same thing for the front office and customer experience management. If you think about the CIO, um, his rise to or her rise to power was based on the ERP revolution. If you look at the CRO, they rode the CRM wave. The CMO, their their rise to a strategic player. The CMO is now spending more than CIO on 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 technology. Their wave to being a strategic partner to the CEO is going to be predicated on them using customer experience management and hopefully Sprinkler as the only purpose-built CXM platform as their platform to own customer experience and drive business outcomes. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay. At nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. helps me so much. And by the way, Look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings, okay? I do them back-to-back, very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen, okay? So I use the tool. It's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin. I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14-day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no. He's given us a 45-day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not gonna stay up forever, so go get it now. nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. You've raised a lot of capital, which means you've been in a lot of meetings where I assume VCs are asking you questions and in your brain, you're going, I don't give a damn about that number. I imagine one of those is LTV. And I think maybe a reason you have, you have issues thinking about or giving an LTV number is you say what you just said. We're inventing new products. Once we get these customers and we delight them, we, they're going to stay with us forever. That being said, you have to make rational decisions about when you start running a new marketing test, what you might go out and try as a CAC related to that LTV ratio. So with that framework, if that is accurate, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with that framework, how do you think about CAC related to LTV? Um, there's a past and there's a future, right? In the past, we were just really focused on getting our foundation right in terms of product, in terms of product market fit, in terms of sweet spot mm-hmm. of customers already. And now the ideal customer profile is very, very clear to us. It's the CMO of a very large company who is forward thinking and is ready to lead digital transformation within their company. Um, So now the way we do things are very, very different. And I got to admit, man, I have an open CMO position. If there are any (laughs) killer B2B CMOs listening, call me. That's Um, smart. We've got a lot of them. You got to be a killer, though. You got to keep up with this guy, guys. So thank you. 
And so the way we're thinking about it is, is right now, we're, we're just getting to that level of go-to-market maturity. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, um, but this is the year where we're kind of putting some of those metrics in place and how do we measure marketing campaigns and how do we do more structured demand gen. And most of our lives, you know, our, our demand uh, was was way more than our, our supply. And we wanted to focus on building the platform. And this is the year. In April, we had our first ever customer conference, industry conference, and announced our vision. What's it called? It, so if people want to come, they can go check it out. It's a digital transformation summit. And it was in Nashville last year. And in uh, in, in we're, we're just doing our, in 30 days, we're going to have our first ever public product launch, which is called Niagara, uh, which actually this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly, where we're manifesting the all the things we talked about in April publicly inside our product. Last unit economics question. When a customer comes to you, and we're going to use an easy number, at a $100,000 kind of first-year contract value, predictably, what do you grow that to year over year? Do you have 150% expansion, 120? What is it? It varies between... Um, 20 to 40 percent. Um, again, th- those are metrics that we track quarterly. Yep. All right. Uh, next round here, which is kind of more about the overall market. Hootsuite, obviously, I would say plays below you, lower selling prices, et cetera, but they definitely have a long, a long tail effect. Do you ever see, will you ever, you've articulated the way you do ac- uh, uh, kind of uh, acquisitions so far is based off acquiring kind of knowledge you know, private or public companies, especially if their PE ratios are favorable, can sometimes go and essentially buy valuation, right? If the delta that they can negotiate is lower than the PE ratio. Do you ever see yourself chasing long tail customers or going after an acquisition like a Hootsuite? Obviously, it'd be a very expensive one to acquire those additional customers in long tail. No, um, acquisition as a way to get revenue and growth is not something we've pursued uh, as a strategy at all. In fact, I have personally referred many customers to Hootsuite. <laughs> we go do a discovery and I've personally said, we, we're not ready for each other and you should use something that's more suited to your current needs. Um, and that's the way we see the market. That's not a strategy we're pursuing right now. Two rounds ago, I believe, uh, last set of questions here, you raised, I think, $46 million and it was reported at a valuation of about $1.2 billion. Forbes reported you still own about 30% of the company, which is definitely if accurate a reflection of your ability to grow the company without being severely diluted. That was two rounds ago, correct? The $46 million? I believe so. And the la- you've done so many. The last one was the $105 billion, or sorry, $105 million recently, right? That's right. Okay, got it. And that was reported at a $1.8 billion valuation. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay, got it. So you did release those numbers. Um, interesting. So last set of questions here before we wrap up with the easy famous five. If a company like, I mean, I imagine you're frustrating the hell out of Adobe and Salesforce. And I think you probably love that. And there's, I love that about you. I we're, guess. we're not. We're oh, not. come on, Reggie. I don't believe you for two seconds. You're a competitive <laughs> beast. Listen, listen. Like, uh, look at this look, guy's I, smile. I don't believe him. Let me explain. We compete with two sets of companies, right? The first set of companies are point solutions. That's an open and shut statement. You should not be buying ankle biting point solutions. If you're a large company, please, even if you don't buy Sprinkler, don't go buy a listening solution, an advocacy solution, a publishing solution, a calendaring solution, a reporting solution, an influence. I mean, don't name, do that. Name, a, name a point solution in the reporting space, just to give a real example. Uh, on the social reporting, um, Social bakers. Okay. 
okay, great. a company that does reporting. I think Simply Measured. Um, there's Unmetrics. There's a whole bunch of companies. He and took a bit of got, a shot. He took a bit of a shot at you, didn't he? In that Forbes article. I don't I, like honestly, man. I um, I've got way too many things to worry about the future that I don't worry about uh, point solution. So don't don't buy a point solution. What else? Yeah. So the in the other space, right? You think of the big companies that play in the space. We believe in our own assessment there are uh, seven legitimate um, options for you to look at when you're choosing a CXM, a front office partner. And I think they are the usual suspects. You know, um, Microsoft, uh, Adobe, Salesforce, SAP, IBM. Uh, who am I missing? Um, there's one more I'm missing. Oracle and, uh, you know, and there's a, there's, a re- there's a reason you couldn't think of Oracle. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, man. This is <laughs> go through the list, right? And, and the, in yours truly, which is we're very tiny, but we're purpose built with the architecture. And out of these six companies, right, we are partners with Microsoft. We are, they're a client and a partner. We are partners with SAP. They're a client and a partner. We are partners. Uh, uh, partners with 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 IBM, right? And look, truthfully, we just got the Salesforce partnership. Um, we're working with Adobe. We actually think that clients should be going from a best of breed point solution approach to a best of suite, where you should be using Microsoft and Adobe and Sprinkler. We don't overlap. And that's the clarity we want to bring to the marketplace and leverage the Sprinkler architecture to connect those together. Raji, let's wrap up with the famous five. One word answers here, super easy. Number one, favorite business book. The one I'm reading right now, it always changes, right? It's always learning. Uh, the one I'm reading now that is uh, it's called Four Steps of Execution. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying currently? Again, I, I believe in patterns. and I'm, I'm just obsessed about patterns, so it's never one. Um, and my favorite thing about uh, these type of questions is when I say, I learn from everyone. From most people, I'm learning what not to do. What's a what's a pattern you've pulled from all the CEOs you're interviewing, you're watching? Um, tenacity, uh, ability to see the future and go all in against it, um, passion, um, and those are the ones. But the ones you know, I'm I'm tracking very closely. I'm trying to understand decision making. My favorite two is Bill Gates and Steve Jobs because they are what looks like very different, but I, I find the commonalities because I'm not into the business of hoping. Hope is for suckers, right? You, you have to be, growth has to be very predictable. So I'm, I'm always trying to understand the the linearity. And I read a lot of those uh, successful guys. I'm reading uh, Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. I'm, I'm in love with it. It's such a fantastic book. It's a good one. Number three, besides your own, is there a favorite online tool that you use to run your business? Maybe like acuity scheduling. Dang, man, I was going to say sprinkler. It's <laughs> all my time. No, I mean, I'm a, um, I use pretty much all the tools everybody use. But, but the one I'm, I'm like really always on is Skype, Microsoft, um, because, they, you know, I'm just always connected. I've got a whole bunch of folks that I'm always connected to and the ability to chat, um, text or call or it's just fantastic. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, man, I'm back to being terrible. The last time I did... New York Times asked me a question. I said, you know, I was up to back up to like seven or eight, but now I'm 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 back down to maybe three to four. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Um, married and two kids. Two. What, how young's the youngest? Um, fourteen and eleven. Okay, so they're not waking you up in the middle of the night, but they're not. You're not an empty nester yet. 
Now, the thing is, what happens is I feel like a, a, a computer. Have you ever um, tried to shut down a computer with 35 programs running or, you know, your brain just keeps going and it flips you back on? And most nights I go to bed with a problem and I'm waking up, uh, you know, a couple of hours, three hours later with a solution. I'm just spending the rest of it flushing it out. Yeah. Uh, and you said you're 36 years old? I'm 44. Oh, 44. Wow. Okay. Got that wrong. Sorry. Last question. Take us back 24 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Very little, man. That guy was a happy-go-lucky party animal. <laughs> was he really? Yeah. Anything you'd, any, anything you'd wish he knew? No, he had, he had no clue. He had no clue about his own future. And um, what would I say to him? Nothing. You know, anything I say would have severely <laughs> kind of made him think about the future, which he never did. So they party on, man. Party on, man. Last question about partying. And then again, we'll wrap up with the final bio. Vista Equity is based down here in Austin. They have a huge appetite for these kinds of acquisitions. Look at the Marketo one, many others. They're really one of the, I would think, besides a company where they're the only kind of multi-billion dollar buyers or exits for your space. If they wrote you a, a $8 million, $8 billion check to sell, do you exit? <laughs> I would. I, I'm actually, I'm in love with the Vista strategy. He's done a lot of clever things that are not obvious. So, I would use that as an excuse to go meet those people. And, and learn. Talk. You got it. Very good. Raji, there you guys have it. Founder of Sprinkler. Many, many years ago, they raised over $200 million, serving over 1,200 very large customers, paying on average 100 grand, really looking at, again, focused on the social box. He's got a very interesting announcement coming up related to Niagara, where they're going to expand. He's focused long-term, ignored the hype in 2012. He's uh, obviously paying off now at over a $1.8 billion valuation. Raji, good luck, and thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you, brother.